Nice to see you, John Lennon. <laughs> nice to see you too. You have a um, there's a curtain hanging in the back of the room, and I wonder if it's concealing an invention, something you're working on. Just concealing more room. Oh, wait. There's a Are you in a barbershop? <laughs> yeah, I'm in my basement no, barbershop. No. Okay. <laughs> got a guitar. I got my tuba. Yeah. Grandma's chair. A lamp made of cypress knees. <laughs> wait, what are cypress knees? The part of a cypress tree root yeah. that wants to grow out of the fetid swamp <laughs> yeah. in order to perhaps become a new cypress tree or to increase its, its tenuous purchase on the, on the land. Okay, that's very poetic. Mm-hmm. I was listening to something about the Devonian extinction event in the Devonian period and the first trees. It's something I'd never thought about, which is that the earth did not arrive with soil, right? Uh, oh, soil, no. ha soil had to sort of be made by organic matter. So the first kind of plants that lichens and things had to kind of build up and die enough for there to be enough soil for soily plants. So the single-celled organisms that that were the first ones on Earth, the yeah. whatever strands of RNA floating around, they mm -hmm. they were to perish and create a a matrix in which to grow human beings. Well, the, yes, that's yes and yes. <laughs> but in our our sci-fi movie fantasies, we like go to another planet and start planting corn. Yeah. But uh, if there hasn't already been life on these planets, then they don't have soil. Sure. Have they tested the Have they tested the soil on Mars to see if it? I'm going to send them a letter right now. Is it loamy? <laughs> yeah. Is Mars loamy? Yeah. It's lonely. It's so loamy it could cry. <laughs> Mars has made me. Uh, the Mars rover made me happy. Also, I was uh, um, Stephanie and I had been watching this TV show called uh, For All Mankind, which is about it's about the space program. It yeah. starts in the late 60s, I guess. And in the opening episode, everyone is watching the moon landing. Uh, and then it is revealed that it is not the Americans who have landed on the moon. It is the Soviets. They have mm. beaten us in the space race. Oh. And then the series is an alternate history as the consequences of this happening unfold. Mm -hmm. And it ends up... Uh, creating it ends up hastening the uh movement for women's equality and and makes uh technology evolve more quickly because we're mm. more invested in the space race after the soviets beat us and season what? two just started and it's not so far it's not very good but what's it called star trek for all mankind actually <laughs> Uh, Ronald Moore, one of the Star Trek uh, originators, is a producer of the show, so right. it has a little has a little Trek energy. He plays Spock. Uh, Spock is not in this show. Okay, I see. I see. You haven't understood what I've been telling you. That's okay. I sort of understood. How do you feel about um, what do we learn from alternate history narratives? Because they seem like fan service. See. This right. is one of the things I've been thinking about this show since the second season so far has been kind of disappointing. And um, it might be because the first season bit off more than it could chew. 
is is the show suggesting that we need to lose in order to win? And then it got me thinking about the Trump years. Could the could the relief bill have passed? Could we have passed this big progressive relief bill if it hadn't come on the heels of Donald Trump making things much worse? In uh, other no words, way. yeah, no way. Yeah. So does history require a, a grim ricochets? Is it an endless trampoline? I remember watching Grim Ricochets open for Endless Trampoline <laughs> in Ames, Iowa in 1982. Are these shoegaze bands? <laughs> this is pre-shoegaze, 82. That's... No, they were uh, um, Glisco. Sorry? The Glisco. Glisco Glis music. It's Is that uh, Glissandos from Glasgow? Is that their their thing? It's disco, but it's just the violins. <laughs> okay. It's just the it's just the strings, just the glissandos from disco, without the <laughs> yeah. tiresome groove. <laughs> yeah, without the yeah. hi hats. Gotta have the hi hats though. See, in, in an alternate history, the hi hat would not have been invented, right? And we would have just have had the glisco. Do you do you know from Bob James? No. Bob James, uh, synthesizer guy, I think. Oh. Or studio music instrumental figure. Okay. Sort of easy listening, I think. He had some hits. So he does a cover of Paul Simon's um, boring song, Take Me to the Mardi Gras. Yeah, sure. That's all instru instrumental. I'm looking at him now. And it's become one of the. Uh, I guess it's. It's. I, I was. Well, I heard the song on WWOZ, the radio station from New Orleans around Mardi Gras time. It was on a playlist, right? And I was like, I know this song, but I had never heard it. It's because it's been sampled a zillion times, starting with Run DMC, and then by you know annually since then. Yeah. But the original song is so groovy. It is so intensely groovy. The original, his original, or with his right, his cover. Okay, hold on. Which is what's been sampled. It's so pleasantly groovy that it's taken over my my uh, audio imagination for. Okay, hold on. A month. I'm gonna give this a gonna give this a quick listen. Oh, well, it's showing me. It's serving me an ad. I'll look at it later. Mm -hmm. um, take me to the Mardi Gras is a gem. From Bob James' second album, too. He he's got as he seems to be a good self promoter and a and a supporter of his uh of his own um, legacy, which you got to be in this day and age. Yeah, but this was that day and age. This is like seventy two, seventy. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, yeah. So, uh, so what? Uh, why do you bring it up? Well, it's 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 a kind of a glisco album. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, it's it's d disco without the disco, right? You know, Excellent. I think I think it's been sampled by so many uh, hip hop figures because it's it's really an easy listening song that just accidentally grooves. Yeah, it accidentally sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Like I listen, I gave a listen to a lot of other Bob James, and it it's not that interesting. It's like right. he just sort of. <laughs> hit on something that day in the studio 
had the the timbales tuned just timbales tuned just right, you know. <laughs> oh, I was uh, going to bring. I wrote a whole list of things to talk about, and not talk well, about. Well, I left I'm it e- upstairs. I'm so eager we'll to just... know what the what the not talk abouts are, but check it check it out. Look at this. Do you see? Ooh, this? is that a Bemis point test pressing? This is a Bemis point test pressing. Speaking of. Um, accidentally doing something correctly. At least that's how we think of it. Um, I mean, we were trying, but uh, this is an album that we made during the pandemic over about half a dozen to eight sessions in which we just played for 40 minutes each Mm -hmm. time. And then Jim edited the best bits into these four 10-minute songs. And the test pressing just arrived from the Czech Republic which I guess is where records are made now. And it sounds really good. I'm very excited about it. A little vanity vinyl for Johnny. Can I see the vinyl of the vinyl? Yeah. I saw on the Instagram, but I'd like to see it on the Zoom. Ooh. 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 Oh, there it is. Have you given it a spin? I have, of course. We I needed to, to so he, Jim could approve it. Uh, mm-hmm. And we could actually get the record made. And uh, it sounds great. I'm very excited. No glitches. No, to my surprise, I thought maybe it would be the high end would be a little crispy or the or the bass would be missing. But because um, mm-hmm. uh, we, we don't really know how to master for vinyl, it's supposed to be a it's supposed to be a, a an art of some kind. But um, is this only it. going to be only going to be on vinyl? No, you can you'll be able to download it too digitally. No, no CDs. I don't think. Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to hear it. Um, I am eager for you to hear it. Mm-hmm. It's mostly soothing. Sometimes uh, it might make you a little anxious, but in a recreational way, not a mm-hmm. not not in a, the past four years kind of way. Right. A uh, Like a, a freebie from the cannabis store might make you feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. Like a little giveaway. A little anxiety, a little pleasure. Exactly. We're the we're the we're the the pot bullies of electronic music. Ah, pot bullies. <laughs> that that's it's grand. <laughs> Thank you. They they press records in Salina, Kansas, as well. You know. Oh, really? Uh, I forgot the name of the little outfit that started up about ten years ago. Yeah, for Salina. a while there was a period where there was a, like a six month wait to get a record pressed um and that seems to have gone down significantly now i think um i think more places have tooled up tooled back up now that vinyl is kind of popular so um uh do you know people involved in the in the salina operation um two steps removed i think yeah i think jeremy seidner of lawrence kansas and maybe some other lawrence people know the salina but i don't i think you are you are a maximum of two steps removed from any anyone engaged in an, any artistic endeavor in America in 2021. I don't know many people in dance. I think that's where you might be able to escape my reach. Is in modern dance, but even then, I I, I have some contacts. Oh, you do. Right, <laughs> I do have some contacts. You, con- you contradict yourself. Right. <laughs> Well, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to smoke somebody out. I've got, uh, yeah, it's like the Baker Street Irregulars, you know. I've got, got my people everywhere. Yeah. During Zoom, I've, I've extended my reach. Many people have, have 
retracted their social clause, but I've, I've ended up on a bunch of strange book groups and discussion groups. Do you want to talk about them? Or was this on the list of things not to talk about? Well, I don't want to name the people. Oh. But they're fancy. <laughs> um, but it's been, it's been great. I, I've, I've never enjoyed, or maybe I never was part of a book group or a discussion group. Um, but I find it quite, quite fun now. Um, maybe because, uh, there's some, there's so much humility and compromise involved in it. Mm -hmm. That's good for a person who's arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About books. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I still, I wish that my old book group hadn't fallen apart. I, uh, there was a previous episode of this podcast where I talked about the circumstances and by which that happened, but, right. um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I miss it. Um, I miss the, I, you know, you gotta be willing to read something you don't necessarily want to read and to hear opinions you don't agree with and Wait. that, and then you yeah. get to, it's great. You know, you get to impose impose your taste and views on others, and uh, everyone is supposed to enjoy that. Rarely, but rarely and judiciously. Rarely and judiciously. So you get to yes. be an autocrat. Yeah. How often in your groups? How often are you the person suggesting the book? Well, my poetry discussion group. Most of the time, I like because I'm sort of leading the group, and so I'll sort of ask them what sort of thing they want to read, and I'll sort of give them a a, a menu of of options. Mm -hmm. And I'll pick, oh, how about the Jory Graham this week? It's like, ooh, I'll have a little side dish of Siegfried Sassoon. It's only a week. <laughs> it's only a couple of poems. We're not reading very much of them, just like three or four poems by, yeah. by people. Uh, and then this this last group, I, I was talking about regeneration, and every, everybody was like, "What? What is this book? I've never heard of this book. They never oh. read regeneration." So they, oh, they were in for so they treat. read it, and I was terrified that they wouldn't <laughs> like it. Sure. Because it's an older book now. It's 1991 or two. I think it stands the test of time, but it, it does seem a little dated. I mean, it's also set in 1917. Yeah, in the first World War, so, right. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, and the things I like about it, which are mostly, which are not story, which are just kind of style. Yeah. Um, but there was a hit. They liked it. So I felt relieved not to be mortified. <laughs> Excellent. Which is, which is a kind of pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. The uh is is someone stomping upstairs? Yeah. You have a, a monster? I think that's Oscar. I think he's you're watching right. he's watching uh uh the new Scooby Doo movie, The Scoob and the Stone. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real that's a real movie. I think he's picking up something and dropping it repeatedly. Is it uh, is the Scoob and the Stone part of a contiguous universe with Scoob, the recent reboot of the of the gang's adventures? No. No, it seems separate. I watched the first ten or fifteen minutes of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems uh, I think Scoob is uh, is uh, in isolation from the rest of the Scooby French franchise. You seem, to, you seem to be implying that the that the Scoobiverse is uh, um, it's the authority is diffuse it when is it diffuse. comes to yeah. the the Scoob yeah. Scoob universe. Uh, well, I mean, there's you know Scooby Scooby's fifty years old. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of, you know, 20 or 30 or more iterations of Scooby shows. Very, very old for a dog. The main distinction of uh, between Scooby uh, presentations is whether the monsters are real or whether they're 
scoundrels in disguise. Yeah. And there's an increasing thread in which, you know, it's real monsters, real supernatural problem. Oh, in recent years, you mean? Yeah. They've decided that uh, the supernatural is more interesting than than uh, human human cruelty. Human malevolence is no longer adequately uh, compelling. I think human malevolence is is too too disturbing, and you know, zombies and ghosts opening the portal and demons. There's a lot of demons in Scoob in recent Scooby things. Mm-hmm. That that's less disturbing than. Uh, capitalistic greed is almost always at the core of, <laughs> yeah. of Scooby mystery. Yeah, you're right. Do you, uh, do you feel that we're not uh, frightening our children sufficiently for them to, uh, to survive? We're, in this well, we're frightening world? them wrong. We're frightening them, them wrong. Um, because the scariest thing to a, a nine-year-old is, is like uh, uh, somebody, go- people kissing. <laughs> That's the most terrifying thing <laughs> that they can imagine. Zombies, demons, that's fine. Yeah. That's, it's wise. It's wise. Kissing can lead to uh, all kinds of misfortune. Yeah. It always, it always does, John. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. Every buddy. time. <laughs> I'm on a diet. What kind of diet? Um, a healthy one, <laughs> which I'm just trying to eat. I'm just eating less. I'm logging in everything. Yeah. A, a friend did this thing called Noom, which I think a lot of people are doing. It's a app that's kind of a behavior app. You log your food and it gives you your calorie count. Right. It reminds you that certain things have more calories than others. And I find just that, that amount of reminding has, has so far been adequate to Keep me from eating yeah. uh, hamburgers. <laughs> well, but it's taken a lot of the joy out of my life. I'm eating a lot of salsa and pickles because apparently they don't have. I don't. I never. I never, never really had a sense what what has a lot of calories or not. And a lot of the diets I've done before kind of try to discourage the. They had a different kind of fantastical thinking, and that calories wasn't the issue, but like the sugar was or something yeah this is uh it's working good yeah I, I think i think i think avoiding sugar probably is a good idea and just a general less are you are you actually now studying the contents of everything and are you actually trying to count calories now or are you i'm just- counting calories exclusively yeah and so like the other diets i've been on which were which were horrible and ill-advised you know, would would count like the sugar from a strawberry or an orange as being as fatal as a Snickers bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe it is, but it just kind of led to a, a manic kind of thinking that this one I can, you know, if, if I want something salty, I can have something with some salt in it. If I want if I've got a sweet tooth, I can get something, you know, have to, there's something for whatever my craving is. Yeah that's that meets it without kind of making me feel like I'm a horrible person or ruining the plan. Yeah. It's working. I don't know if it'll work. Did you find that you, uh, did you put on weight during the pandemic because of the pandemic? 
I think I put on weight during the pandemic because I'm a chronic overeater. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pandemic gave me a lot of opportunity, more opportunities than usual to indulge that. But yeah, I gained I gained probably twenty pounds over the last year, and I've now I've, I've lost fifteen of it. Oh, good! So I've got good. a lot of weight. Yeah, I don't know. The pandemic. Uh, I hate everybody. <laughs> yeah. Now, sure. And, um, but I'm glad that that hatred is is no longer anger. It's no longer like a, a continual anger. It's just. Mm-hmm disappointment and disgust who's people. the everyone in 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 this equation well every every motherfucking republican of yeah. course and um also everyone i agree with <laughs> um everyone on uh twitter yeah um neighbors uh children strangers sure people in cars driving by some dogs a lot of birds i mean just kind of everybody seems <laughs> there seems to be some everything everyone has disappointed me in some way you know yeah i'm i'm sorry to hear it what have the birds done no it's fucking birds no no i disagree <laughs> I, I it's not i'm not as i'm not as uh, i'm not as dyspeptic as i as i sound um I, I I have I, you know you wouldn't have noticed because you're not on Twitter watching me be on Twitter but mm-hmm. um, I I right before the election um, or maybe it was right after the election I can't remember mm-hmm. I just basically said goodbye and mm-hmm. um, I I still go on there every couple of days or and if I have a new story or essay or something out I'll post a reference to it i'll i'll probably promote my books a little sometimes i look at what other people say and try to say nice things to them about it mm-hmm. but i'm not i've stopped having a thought and then putting it into the world as an invitation to discuss the thought right um, because i feel like everyone's replies to everything now i think everything anyone says is perceived as a threat yeah. I think people have become fearful because of Trump and partly because of the pandemic. And um, there's really no way to express a thought no. uh, that will not trigger somebody into some kind of uh, preposterous fury. Yes. Um, oh, not just an individual, but an individual and a hundred other people. Yes. Yeah. And then it metastasizes. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Everything is all fucked up. That that's one that was on the list of things not to talk about was <laughs> my hatred for people, my disdain for um, literary culture, um, and what was that last thing? <laughs> Your hatred for birds. Oh, how everything is fucked up. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean to discuss these things. Um, you so <laughs> this. I take this to mean that probably also on your list was. Not to mention, under any circumstances, the uh, poetry magazine incarcerated writers issue. You don't want well, to talk I thought about that. that. I th- I, well, I thought that that was a great deal of fun. How <laughs> how how astonished everybody was to find out that uh, some people in prison are criminals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it it it. it exp- I mean that that. That uh, that guy is obviously horrible, and that poem shouldn't have been published anywhere um, because it was perfectly competent. 
Um, and I, I feel very badly for the editors, the guest editors and the editors. Um, but I mean, if it wasn't that guy, if there'd be, I mean, everybody in that issue did something wrong, not in, in not in a, uh, not just in a, like a moral or ethical sense, but wronged somebody. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, everybody, if you go to prison, it's because you've not just, you've done, done something wrong in an abstract sense, but most likely you have wronged somebody considerably and maybe many people. Um, and so if that is problematic, if it's, if then, then it was a doomed project to begin with. I don't feel it's a doomed project. I, I respect, you know, I think people in, in, in prison are not any different from people outside of prison and that, uh, um, People and outside of prison have also wronged are horrible people. people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of, of excellent, meaningful, uh, challenging poetry in that issue. I'm more upset at the consecutive issue published by, uh, by a different set of guest editors that is just bad poetry by perfectly nice people. Uh, what's wrong with it? It's terrible poetry. Sure. I mean, I believe you. I mean, fuck terrible poetry, right? Yeah. I mean, like, fuck anybody for writing a shitty poem. <laughs> that is a horrible thing to do. Yeah. It's a horrible thing to do to yourself. It's a horrible thing to do to other people. And it and it is terrible to publish ter- terrible poetry. Uh-huh. You know? That's wrong. Don't publish bad poetry. Don't write bad poetry. Don't write poetry. If it's going to be bad poetry, if poetry matters, then try to do it well. Mm-hmm. I feel poetry matters. I don't think anybody else does. There are a few. No, I think there are a lot of people who feel that they themselves matter. And poetry is a very, um, uh, a very easy way to uh, demonstrate how important you are and how valuable you are. Uh, especially if you're determined not to really examine that. Yeah. That accounts for a great deal of poetry. And always has. And art generally. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and what we need now is good writing. And I, I, I have a great deal of trouble finding. I feel like the moment um, there aren't clear standards for what constitutes good writing and in a sense this is kind of a good thing there were things that were being gatekept that were being kept out of the converse the public conversation for arbitrary reasons that had nothing to do with their the quality of the work and so lots of things that belonged in that sphere are now in it but a lot of other things have gone darting through the door uh, and un- sometimes in the costumes of the of the things that have been let in, and uh, there's a whole lot of uh, d- demands to notice and take seriously things that maybe don't necessarily deserve to be taken seriously. And then when you try to explain to yourself or others why you don't think they should be taken seriously, the logic falls apart because everyone is operating on a different set of rules. Well, that's right. It's well said. So, I mean, my, yeah. 
this is part of my Twitter withdrawal, and I'm wondering if I should keep reviewing books. Um, I think I will. As long as they ask me to, I feel compelled. You know, the, I, I, have a, I have a pretty big review that I... I was just thinking, I'm not going to do this anymore, and then someone offered me uh, one, to, uh, to review one of my favorite writers, and it was, it's, it's, a, uh, um, it's like an honor to be assigned this book, yeah. Um, so it's I, my book, isn't it, John? You can tell me. Yeah. We can name names. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to review it. But I, but I keep. I had a discussion with some friends about. Um, there's some. I guess some some tweet was going around that they were talking about, in which someone was talking about the phenomenon of how they read five or six reviews of some book that they're never going to read. They're not, never going to read the book, but they read the reviews of the book. And my reaction to this, and a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, yeah, you're right. We sure do do that. And my reaction was, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't read <laughs> any book reviews. I only read books. I don't want to I don't want to know what people think. Increasingly, I don't want to know what people think, except for people I already know, which is, yes. I, I kind of feel this is bad. I should be exposing myself to different ideas about things, but I'm old now. <laughs> I just want to read. You know, I started a few years ago. I never used to keep track of what I read. Um, and so I would completely forget that I'd read a book. Uh, and I, sometimes I would forget what was in the book. And if it was good, that was good because I could read it again and be surprised again. Mostly, though, I would get 40 pages in and think, oh, shit, I just, I just remembered the entire plot. And now I don't want to finish it. But so mm -hmm. I started keeping track, just making a list of every book that I read, uh, with a goal of reading 50 books every year. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I'm very easily distracted by things that aren't literature. Right. And since I am someone who makes literature, uh, I really ought to keep in touch with books. It not necessarily the up to the moment, but make sure that the, the prose is in my head all the time. Yes. But what it's written made me realize is let's say if I'm lucky, I'll live for 40 more years and let's just say I'll get to be 90 and I will have my eyesight and I will not have dementia. And these are all big ifs. So I'll, and I'll continue to read 50 books a year. That means I have 2000 books left and that's not many books. That's a lot of books. That's a lot. Of think Is about it? care. Think about, Moving from apartment to apartment yeah. and having to move 2,000 books. <laughs> and how many trips that is. This is one of the reasons I buy a lot of ebooks is that I move several times in several years and just was mm -hmm. just like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want this burden. But I don't think it's that necessarily it is a, it is a small number. It's that it's a number, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Things didn't used to seem finite. I knew in the back of my mind that they were finite, but but now now they the the finiteness is uh, is more clear. I think it's called fininitude. Uh, <laughs> it is now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Glisco. Anyway, I I've realized that I don't have. I don't like to watch TV. I like to play video games. I like to just fuck around and like play music. And uh, so reading is already, it's the big, it's a big part of my life, but it's 
a limited part of my life. And if I want to do the other things, I definitely am not going to waste my time reading what other people think about things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, there's an ecosystem. I think you should continue writing criticism because you're an excellent critic. Okay, thanks. And because um, criticism is the place to work out these ideas, is a place to work out these ideas and to improve critic and to improve criticism by, or just expand it by doing it. But, uh, but am I Not even improve it just to expand it. Uh, and for, I think for the personal value and, and what you contribute through your criticism. Is but, is it, but is it wrong to be a critic who doesn't read criticism? I mean, it's not like be published in poetry magazine wrong. <laughs> but I don't think that criticism is critic. I don't think criticism is exclusively dialogue with other criticism. Well, it I, is. It is that, but it's not yeah. exclusively that. It's not. It's not. It's not primarily that. This is the thing that often embarrasses me, or I'm, it, it no longer embarrasses me. It once did at work when I am, you know, I have to, we have to do tenure reviews of people in my department, which is now, by the way, the Department of Literature is in English, not the English department, a change that we made uh, a couple of months ago uh, that we're all very happy about. Um, anyway. Was that a quick decision? It was actually, it actually didn't take very long. Once the mm -hmm. scholars who suggested it, ex suggested it and explained themselves, um, pretty much everybody was on board very quickly. And the mm -hmm. vote was, if not unanimous, then nearly unanimous. Because the department does not, it implies that we teach English, teach, right. teach British novels, you know, right. British novels and poetry. And uh, we teach all kinds of stuff. And that one, you know, one nation or culture's literature in English is not the same as another's. And so, um, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's very know, reasonable. Students and professors both were like, yeah, this is a good, a good way to signal that we think of ourselves differently. But anyway, so I have to um, participate in the tenure reviews of scholars and I read their stuff and I just don't. I just don't understand it because it's so steeped in the the work that's come before it. Um, it's 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 a kind of discourse that depends very very heavily on building upon and reacting to ideas yes. of other critics. And so, um, I feel right, that very... that is that, I mean, that kind of criticism, scholarly criticism, is discourse within criticism. But that's not what you do. No, no. No, and I, I, and whenever there's a some sort of argument or brouhaha about a book, it usually seems very dumb to me, and I don't, it, I don't want to react to it. I don't want to participate in that, right. in that discourse. Um, so I don't know. So I have, I've been, I've, I've avoided. I don't want to be, I don't want to be mad. I don't want to disagree with things and be mad at them. There's a lot of, there's a lot of nuances in, 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 in emotional reaction. There are settings beside mad. Uh, you wouldn't know <laughs> Do tell. it. Yeah. You wouldn't know it. Um, there's there 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 is room. There are the needle does point to other spots besides standing and and hating. I've been thinking more about um. It's kind of a side topic, but um, a while back, uh, our friend uh, Adelina. 
mm-hmm. suggested said said I would love it if someone put together a playlist of the best um of the best guided by voices songs from the past, you know, 20 years. Because the a time came that they just start, started putting out tons and tons of albums and nobody only a super fan would have time to listen to them all. And I was once that but yeah. they they would issue a record every few years and so it um it was exciting when one came out and now in 2019 and 2020 um they put out six albums it, it they put out three records during a pandemic and it's not like nine songs some of them are, are, are like 20 songs so i just decided to spend a whole day just listening to every song and i made that playlist oh i i need to i need to hear it i yeah so I made because the playlist. I, I post two thousand three. I, su- I suppose I I am uneducated. That ex- that was exact my exact cutoff. That was my exact cutoff. Is that under the under the something? No, what, what's the? I think the f- the last one that I really paid attention to was Universal Truths and Cycles, and the um I think the f- I can't remember the name of the one. And then was Earthquake Glue, like this early to mid two thousands records. And then Pollard has just put out solo albums every year. Yeah, well, I'm I'm ignoring well, those. Hmm. Um, if it's the it, it, my rule was it had to be guided by voices officially. Okay. Um, Tobin Sprout rejoined the band in the early twenty tens, and they they made some really good records together. But there were too many of those too. So, but I, it got me thinking about he's one of the great songwriters alive today one of the great rock and roll songwriters ever Mm -hmm. um and though i got i put i this is one of my few tweets recently was i decided to share the playlist on twitter for people's entertainment and uh i suggested that like here are the here are the best the the albums are uneven but here's what i think are the best songs and i got some pushback from some no some gentlemen you surprise who, me, sir. Who believe that every every guided by voices song is a special snowflake of, of brilliance. Uh but, but the song there, you know, I think I compiled between sixty and seventy of them. And they're all great. Uh and he could have put out an album every three years and it be a stone cold classic every time. Um so is it somehow uh, are the are, are these records going to go largely unnoticed? Are they only going to be noticed by people who like to be obsessive completists of, of obscure things? Cuz that seems to be what he's going for. Is it a is it a deliberate choice to not edit himself at all? Mm-hmm. Um or is it just he just can't he just is bubbling over with inspiration and needs to get it all out regardless and let let the fans sort it all out they'll buy the records so why should i worry about this and i like the songs i'm going to record them the end and then i thought about writers who you know like stephen dixon uh just wrote constantly and published everything and um to my mind he should have been better loved more so yeah. second half of his career um but he was hard it was hard to keep track of yeah um you know and he would really try a lot and a lot of stuff didn't get published he would really try to publish everything was very frustrated that his relationships with his publishers went downhill in the second half of his life his writing didn't get worse um 
You know this, and I remember getting uh, um, in the last couple of years of his life, Bill Knott was sending just box huge yep. boxes of self-published books to just random people at universities. Yeah, well, who, yeah, open poetry book, open books poetry, and in Seattle would get boxes of yeah <laughs> stapled photocopied uh, poems with crayon covers. Yeah, yeah, I have I a have, bunch. I, I have, have, a, I, have a, I have a, I have a bunch. Yeah, I got a pile, and you know. They're, they're Bill Knott poems. They're good. But it's like, <laughs> it's such a strange interface with the world. Um, and I'm, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I feel like I ought to be paying more attention to artists. The Gotta by Voices project made me realize that I shouldn't, I shouldn't be intimidated by the massive output of a talented person who doesn't know how or doesn't want to edit themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, because what's, you know, you make the work. And and few people few people make anything, mm-hmm. right? Very few people make anything. A tiny number of those people make a lot of stuff. Um, and so, what are you supposed to do? You make a lot of stuff. You put it out there, and if it, if it catch, if it means something to somebody, great. I mean, you die; it doesn't matter. Yeah, you, you know, you never if you if you make it and you never release it, you still die, and it doesn't matter. Yep. Right. So put you know put it out there. Uh, commercial value. I mean, you know. So what, what's the difference to Robert Pollard? Really, it's, it's, it's a question of um, are there ways of managing his 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 output that would make him more money? Yeah, bring his work to a different audience, have a different critical appreciation. Certainly, but does it matter to him? Would he make Would he make different work? Would he make less work? What do you make as original work? Who knows? Yeah. But all these, everything's related, you know? I mean, the, 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 uh, the ease of the, the ease of being able to put work out to, for Bill, not to, to photocopy stuff and send it to a bookstore, um, Mm -hmm. or Pollard to record, you know, probably pretty cheaply and distribute pretty cheaply yeah um is is part of the making of it it's not to, it's not set i don't think you, i don't know if, if it's if it's that easy to separate it to say that you could do it different because it's that ease which is part of the making of it and especially with both of those poets the kind of you know beautiful disregard that they both have for yeah. surfaces for um posturing that's you know? a thing it's that's the thing that I ultimately come back to is this deep respect for not giving a shit. Because when you think about it, the decision to to publish less is economic, not just in terms of money, um, in terms of the economy of attention. Hmm. Um, and it's embarrassing to me to want the attention, you know? Um, and I feel like those those artists decided not to give a shit. You know, he, he could make, I I would like to, he, I'd like to hear a, another record like Isolation Drills from Pollard, where, you know, they, they don't make a record for a few years, they get a producer, they get an engineer, they make it sound super slick, they pick only the very catchiest songs, and they make a, just a, a like a totally classy hit after hit after hit pop record. Um, right. Because that's a thing they can do. And if um, I was in the guided by voices business, I would want them to do that. <laughs> right. 
Um, but, uh, the reason they did that in the first place, I think was for a goal that Pollard clearly just doesn't give a shit about anymore and more power to him, you know? Um, plus not, not, not that he's not, I mean, so you take away that, that middle level of, uh, arrogance. I mean, his, his arrogance is enormous. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) You know, I'm not saying that he's, you know, some monkish, you know, that he's, some. you know pollard llama you know <laughs> his arrogance is greater than 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 that than, than than something that would be satisfied by that kind of commercial success right he obviously decided i mean i think isolation drill sold pretty well and it made them more famous but it didn't they, he must have taken the temperature of his feelings about the result and thought eh you know, I'll just do it my way. Artiste, man. <laughs> He's an artiste. Anyway, I both w- wish I were more like that. I, I feel like I am kind of like that. I don't think anybody's really paying attention. Maybe because I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm not as good at what I do as Robert Pollard is. But um, nonsense. My, my efforts are diffuse uh, in uh, do a, a bunch of different stuff and that. I can't expect everybody to pay attention to it. But I keep thinking about how the stuff that people end up remembering that I have done, it's never it's never anything where I thought, here's my masterpiece. At last, I unleash it upon the world. This is yeah. the thing that will get me attention. It's some random thing, I goofy thing I thought of and wrote in my pajamas, and someone turns it into a TV show, or somebody right. you know gets published unexpectedly and people like it. Yeah. You know? It was like Dennis Johnson. I was being the, the Q and A when he came to Montana, and, and you know, people wanted to talk to him about you know Jesus' son. It's like, yeah, you know, brother, you know, it, it was no work at all. And I'm glad it said this appearance, but you know, fucking five years on this novel, and no one gives a damn about it. So you know, what, what lesson do you learn from it all? You know? The the quote I remember the was vagaries are are. are are greater than anything that anybody can surmount. He said, uh, it took, it took about as long to write that book as it did to type it. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that guy. Yeah. Um, so, um, speaking of, uh, eccentric artists, I was on, uh, the lit century podcast with, um, Catherine Nichols and Sandra Newman this past week talking about the unconsoled, my beloved. I haven't listened to the to the, the conversation classic. yet. Mm-hmm. Well, please do. Um, I thought it was really fun. Uh, they're super smart. Um, they had lots of yes. good things to say about the books. But then I um, followed it up by reading the new Ishiguro, which yeah. I, as you as you would guess, I have not read the reviews of it, but I have read the book, and I think it's wonderful and strange and sad like all of his all of his novels um in in one of our uh group chat conversations you or somebody said that um something that, that, that struck me that i hadn't thought about but but seemed like something i already knew because, because it's so obvious is that all of ishiguro's novels are are dreams 
Oh, sure. Was that you? Whoever said that? I think a couple of us were, yeah. were talking about the dream, the dream-like logic. Not just, not, not just, not just oneric logic, but not just in the way they unfold, but something about the overall. S- I mean, yes, definitely to to the the way that they operate, but in some larger sense, that is not true of all things that have dream logic in them. Mm-hmm. Does they feel like dream? Do they feel dreamt? I feel like a lot of dreamy media, mostly mm-hmm. television and movies, especially when they do dreams, they pick the wrong. They emphasize the wrong things about dreams when the thing that is most dreamlike in a dream to me is the logic is cause and effect and how mm. the how each object and each events contract with the other objects and events is broken but then they're connected in intuitive ways in metaphorical ways um your, your new novel is an excellent example well my new novel is an ishiguro knockoff <laughs> <laughs> right? That's the title of it, isn't yeah. it? The Ishiguro knockout, knockoff. Um, but uh, the uh, one thing Catherine said on the podcast was she thought of the unconsoled as a dementia narrative, and there are a bunch of old people in the book um, who are reflecting on their lives and who are kind of confused. So the the issue of of dementia, the real issue of dementia, is yeah. a, is a small part of the book, but more it's more about the logic of the book is about consciousness being broken. About um, uh, it's about a, co- a cognitive state um, that is an, an unconventional cognitive state. And this new book is about a, a robot. It's the robots are called AFs. I think it means artificial friend. That's it's not in the book, but that seems to be what their purpose is. Where it's a, a, a companion, a robotic companion for a child, basically. Mm. And it's from the point of view of one of these robots that has a consciousness, but in various ways, it's a sort of uh, obsolete model. <laughs> so it doesn't, it sees, sometimes it just sees things as uh, inside boxes in a grid, or it sees things as polygons rather than sophisticated shapes. Um, but it doesn't know that that's not the real world. And it turns it into a kind of religion um, about the way the world looks to it. And of course, that we we're invited to reflect on the idea that this is true of of human beings as well, right? But this broken consciousness fo- forming the characters' notions of the meaning of life is fascinating to me. And if anyone gives it a negative review, I'll be very very upset. But I'll never find out. I could let you know if I run across one. <laughs> Buried Giant. I mean, Buried Giant is literally a dimension narrative, though, isn't it? I don't remember. It's it's the old couple Uh, who have forgotten their son. There's always people forgetting that they have children. The unconsoled is he, he, he he's forgotten that he has a child. It's very sad. How many children does does this girl have? I, I don't know anything about him. Don't ask him. I don't know anything about him either. No. Well, he's, you know, and that's something I respect him for. He just is not, he's not out there. He's mm. not, he's not on Instagram. 
I don't think dancing he is. With, dancing with the stars. He's not in Dancing with the Stars. Or the uh, Wear a Costume and Sing show. <laughs> What's it called? Mysterious Creature? What's the name of that show? <laughs> no, The Masked Singer. The Masked Singer. That's, that's the name Is that it. it? Yes, it is The Masked Singer. Yeah. <laughs> I call it Put on a Costume and Sing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good, very obscure sketch. Would be Kazuo Ishiguro being on the Masked Singer. Yeah, there is. People were passing around a very, uh, a very appealing photograph of him uh, playing the acoustic guitar, looking very sexy in in his twenties. Cool guy. Not everybody can pull off the acoustic guitar look. <laughs> no, it makes makes people flee. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to play a song. Run, <laughs> run. <laughs> I saw a good television program. Oh, did you? Uh, work, work in progress. It's on Showtime, mm. which I I watched because uh, Julia Sweeney's in it. I've become acquainted with Julia Sweeney. Oh, I like her, and uh, so I watched this. And uh, she's a she she the, the character is. The main character has been mistaken frequently throughout her life as as Pat, the Julia Sweeney character. <laughs> so it's a fictional character on the show who's mistaken for the Saturday Night Live character. It's a woman who it's a it's a like a, 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 a lesbian woman our age who. Um, who looks is kind of chubby and and and, and look, is very masculine presenting and and yeah. so it's just been dealing with with being with sort of pat jokes right all of her life um and then she meets julia sweeney <laughs> who plays a version of herself but in the, ver- the version of herself in the show she's married to weird al which she is not in real life wait weird al is the actor Playing yeah, the, the actor husband. Weird Al Yankovic plays Weird Al, her husband. <laughs> Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she gets to confront both of them about their, um, you know, their their offensive comedy from when they're. That's great. Good. That's not the only. That's not the. That's that's not. That's that's a minor note on the show. Actually, the rest of the show's. It's 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 good. She's the 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 main act, the creator and, and main actor. Act uh, her name. I don't even know her name. I could Google it, but I don't know. It's not Julie Sweeney. No, is what you're saying. Uh, she's kind of a it's kind of a Gary Shandling character. It was like terribly annoying. Created and starring Abby McEnany. Right. Annoying, annoyed, anxious, uh, wounded, and arrogant. All at the same time. Nice. Uh, I I, did you see? I got um. I uh, Ander uh, asked me to write one of the one of the uh, March Xness essays. Or I, or, I knew that you had. I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I I got. I guess ever you just put in for it, and he. I think they pick them at random. But I picked um. It's so it's grunge this year. March Pladness. It's a grunge era music. And I drew Weird Al Yankovic's uh, "Smells Like Nirvana," and my I made an argument that um, "Smells Like Nirvana" is the ultimate grunge song because yeah. grunge was self-mocking in nature, yeah. And 
Weird Al Yankovic is both mocking of grunge, which is mocking itself, and mocking of himself making fun of grunge. It's a double negative. It's a, it's like a, it's makes like a, a positive. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I lost, I lost to, uh, um, te- uh, Temple of the Dog. Ooh. <laughs> Temple of the Jones, but we called it. Wait, what does that mean? It, sa- it sounds like a good burn. I don't know no. what it means, though. Oh, to, in the early 90s and late 80s in my group in Kansas, anything that was bad was Jonesy. <laughs> <laughs> so during the grunge era in my group of 30 people, things that were um, many, many things that were many grunge terms became Jones terms. <laughs> Temple of the Jones, we called it. Temple of the Dog. <laughs> it was great. Oh, the Jonesy, man. Things are the Jonesiest. Where did it come from? I don't know. Who's the triggering Jones? Oh, I think Catherine Menendez was the first to call, start calling things Jonesy. And then everybody was calling things Jonesy. Jim Hafley, Greg Aitlin, everything was <laughs> Things that were Jonesy were things, anything that was pretentious was Jonesy. Right. Um, things that an adolescent would disdain were, were Jonesy. People trying too hard was yeah. very Jonesy. Things that were just like poorly made, <laughs> bad ideas were, were, were very Jonesy. Um, the fancier thing was the Jonesy is. The so Jonesier what you're, it was. What you're telling me is your anger at bad poetry has deep, deep roots in your youth. Oh, man. <laughs> poetry in 2021. This is probably one of the Jonesiest moments <laughs> in American poetry. <laughs> man, I could give you a list of some Jonesy poets. <laughs> And some Jonesy poems. Oh, alas. Well, mm. it's up to you to de-Jones it, Ed. No, I, I'm not helping. I published a really good book. Nobody saw I it. I know you did. Nobody fucking saw it. I'm worried so, no one's going to see mine either. I think the pen... Or, well, some people are will, selling because books. It turns, out, it turns out bookstores are very important. Yeah. But, you know? Yeah. Even if nobody buys their books in them, bookstores are crucially important. Turns um, out. You know, you can't go into a bookstore. You don't see what what what's there. You know, maybe you don't buy it there. But I mean, it's just books died. Yeah. I think the ones that didn't are the ones that people were fighting about on the internet. And I don't think you or I are ever going to write a book like that. Well, there's a lot of great books that 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 sunk. Um or didn't find the audience they would have. I mean, one one of the one of the. I, I suppose I mean I, I know it. I'm sure it outsold me, um, and found lots of good readers and was reviewed. But Natalie Diaz's postcolonial love poem, a book mm-hmm. we're waiting for ten years for, um, and is tremendous. Came out in the middle of it all, and um, you know, among the casualties of the year, that that not being a. A huge book, and maybe, of course, I don't know what. Uh, I mean, I don't she's, know what happens outside of my house, but but uh, you know that it should have been a deal for well, one, one example of many. Very sought after as a as a reader, so I think she's I think she's going to be speaking to lots of students over the next few years. Oh, she yeah, she's fine. I'm not worried about Natalie Diaz. Yeah. You know, putting bread, you know, food on her table. I know, I, I know Natalie's doing okay. <laughs> I know Natalie; she's doing all right. All right. But, uh, but the work, 
um, you know, she's sort of unlike Pollard. I mean, it's only her second book. It is, you know, uh, been very, very judicious about presenting her work. And same with Ilya Kaminsky's Deaf Republic, which I think, I don't know, I think it came out a little bit before. Yeah, it came out a few years a year ago. ago. Not a few years ago. No? Yeah, but anyway, go on. Anyway, but also in another poet, you know, like a, a book, you know, also just his second book, you know, waited 10 or 12 years for it. Not because he couldn't think of anything. <laughs> you know, these are both poets who are writing every day. But uh, being really selective and and about when when to put something. Um, and I f- I feel like uh, I feel like Valjean's book got some attention too. It did, yeah. and, and and deservedly so. And surprising. Well, I think some of it was be. I mean, NPR I think was paying attention to her maybe because of the big protests in Belarus. Yeah, um, but the work itself—I mean, she's fantastic. Deaf Republic came out in, at the end of 2019, by the way. Okay, so right before, right before everything went to shit. Um, yeah, her book is great. She—I I, uh, moderated a uh, a reading a few weeks ago uh, with her. And my other colleague, Nafisa Thompson Spires, whose book Heads of the Colored People, I think I recommended on the podcast before. Really good story collection, a first collection. And they were just great. I, I actually, I've been a little allergic to to uh, Zoom events, uh, but uh, that one was was terrific. I should probably try to go to more. Did you? So yeah, some books are getting some attention. Maybe, who knows, maybe mine will be among them. Oh, I'm sure it will. Should you go to more Zoom events? We could have a, that could be a quiz for our listener. <laughs> Are you telling me they're Jonesy? <laughs> I spent a lot of time on Zoom teaching a class at the Hugo House, which is great. Uh, teaching for Idlewild Arts Academy is great. And doing tutorials with students on that. It's all great, but it's all Zoom. It yeah. all tastes the same. You know? Yeah. This, I was literally writing about this today. Um, I, I wrote this essay. It's just get, about to get submitted. Um, so with any luck, it'll be someplace where people can read it shortly. But I think I mentioned last time we talked that I had spent a, a lot of the pandemic playing the video game Fallout 76. Right. Oh, that's right. You've read the essay, right? I read the essay. I yeah, love the essay. you read the essay, yeah. Um, and I said I was, I was shocked because you talked about it so glowingly. I assume whenever I hear about a video game, I assume it is the biggest video game of the year. Sure. Like I don't, I'm not aware of there being any gradients. If it reaches your attention, yeah. then surely it's a huge hit. Right. <laughs> I was shocked I, to find that it had, um, that it had found a uh, more complicated release. Yes. Um, it's a, it was considered a, the first massive failure in a beloved series. It was thought to have besmirched the beloved 25-year uh, long Fallout series of games. Um, and uh, I don't, it's not unpopular in the way that um, the writing of you and I is unpopular. It's very popular in terms uh-huh. of, uh, if, is, you know, put up, put up against all of, all of narrative media. But, um, uh, 
but it's kind of an underdog in the uh, in the overheated world of of video games. But I had a whole section about um, this, uh, you know, the you know the phenomenon of uh, f- of forgetting when you walk from room to room. The um, what's it called? The uh, doorway effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and they f- they found that this the study found that the doorway effect happens even if you the the test that they did did not have people walking from room to room they had them going from room to room virtually in a custom video game uh and i was thinking about the phenomenon of people like trying to have their business meetings their staff meetings in a online video game like these guys who uh who met in a uh, uh, Red Dead Online, which is a cowboy simulator. Right. But the fact that um, all of, you know, our entertainment, uh, our jobs, our friendships, everything is uh, coming coming at us through the same static piece of space um, that we kind of never escape. I think it has a it has a, a psychic. It's taking a psychic toll. Yes. I find that to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, um, I found this. So so, so weighing weighing that toll against the toll of uh, where we would be if we were not able to connect. Yeah. And we're we're in our homes, I think would be greater. Sure. That that toll would be greater, but it's still, there's still a fee a self a fee to the self. Yeah. I'm eager for it to be over, Eddie. Have you got jabbed? I've been jabbed. Twice? No, just the once it. You got the Johnson? I don't know. I got the Moderna. I got the Dolly. Oh, so you still got to get one more? I've got to get another one. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting it this Wednesday. Great. Oh, good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, me and, and the um the they were they set up a little clinic in in the building where our little bookshop free school happens. Yeah. Um, and they invited those of us who kind of work at the bookshop or hang out at the bookshop to come in because we're all kind of part of the same. We all kind of use the same entrance and, and are part of the same virological community. So they jabbed right. us as yeah. well as the people in the building who are kind of older and section eight and homeless. So that was a re- that's that's a relief. It feels good. Jill's been jabbed. The in-laws have been jabbed. Um, that that my my parents have gotten progress. it. My mm-hmm. in-laws haven't yet, but they're scheduled. And um, uh, the the we ke- I keep getting emails from the county saying we were we just got another thousand vaccines, um, and saying if you're eligible, definitely sign up. And the age is now down to 60. So it's inching mm-hmm. ever closer to my age, which is 50. So I think it's going to happen. Um, I was initially skeptical about getting to go on vacation with my family this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to skip, you know, we skipped last summer. Right. And, uh, um, but now it seems almost certain that I'll be vaccinated long before July. Do you all go in late? Do you go in July? So late you, July, yeah, or late early July. August. Oh, late July, yeah. Yeah. It's looking that way now anyway. Just don't kiss Chris Christie. <laughs> no, I, 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 that's a very good advice. Thank you. This year. Yeah. Until 2022. <laughs> okay.
Yeah, put it on my calendar. <laughs> oh, it's on his. <laughs> That's great. We, uh, I'm going to go down to Idle. We're going to have our Idle Wild Riders Week. Great. In June. We've in got person? faculty lined up. It's going to be in person. It's all going to be outdoors. There's not going to be any fun. <laughs> but we they decided to do it in person. And with the academies, students are on campus right now. Yeah. Um, those who want to be. Um, and with a lot of protocols in place. And uh, so they sort of figured out how to do it. And the, it's an outdoor it's designed to be an outdoor campus, even though it has a lot of indoor spaces. And so we're going to, everybody's going to just be from California, except for me or some Nevada, you know, all the faculty are fairly local registration right. is going to be pretty local, but we've got, we've got a good, good crew. We've got, uh, I think Amanda Fortini in nonfiction, uh, Adele Hedgecoke in poetry. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming together. We've, it's, it's the registration is up, but we haven't we haven't finalized everything. I'm uh, going to link to it in the in the notes. Be driving down to it. Great, uh, Jill and Oscar. I was going, can't just come. going to ask if you were going mm-hmm. to drive down to it. I'm going to drive. I think I'll drive down. Maybe fly, but but uh, there's there's not the concurrent youth camp, so Oscar won't be coming. Oh, and Jill that's won't it. Be coming, so it'll just be, which is what they've they're sort of asking that the faculty and guests not bring. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of connected back to Idlewild. I'm going to be their poet in residence next year. Yay, great. From afar. Yeah. Because I think that they'll probably go down there a few times during the year and do most of my teaching distance at a distance. Yeah. Even, even next year. But, but, uh, that's such a fun, that's such a fun group. I, I just really love the, the students are a lot of fun. And, in fact, it's such a weird place. I wish you all had been able to come last year. Yeah, me too. Me too. We're our, like we, enough hope. We've allowed enough hope into our uh, into our hearts that we're beginning to idly fantasize about the the little trips we can take. Um, I don't want to get too excited before uh, um, before everyone actually gets vaccinated, but it's looking like traveling to another state might be all right this summer yeah go to massachusetts western massachusetts <laughs> we could do that north northeastern pennsylvania well we were going to uh last year our plan was to drive down to uh drive down to north carolina to visit uh which uh, we had a playlist rock and roll pals yeah so so we made this playlist for the trip yeah um and then we didn't take the trip it was it was to be like it was like a week it's supposed to be a week or two after the after the everything closed yeah. down um, so do you, do you all allow yourselves to listen to the playlist? Yes, actually. Yes, we do. It's, it's a, it's a perennial favorite. We've been off it for a little while, I think because we listen to it so much. Um, and we actually had started it before, before we planned this trip, but then we realized, okay, we need like eight hours worth of, worth of music. And we really started pouring it in there. So, but it'll be nice to listen to it, you know, use it for its intended purpose for the right. first time. You're not going to make a subsequent playlist, or a. You, I mean, my, you 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 worried that I'll never make a playlist again after this? No, I was thinking that uh, I mean, you could make a, a second playlist. Like the first one didn't. 
Maybe for good luck, you should make a new playlist. As well. <laughs> I'm superstitious. It's so much work, though. Playlists. What what style of music? Should it be still be country? Calypso. <laughs> Hawaiian guitar. Okay. Island music. Island music. From all islands. Uh, Manhattan. Morris dances from the Shetland and Orkney Islands. Um, Equatorial Guinea. Sure. Mauritania or Mauritius, whichever one is islands. They're two different. There's, those are not the same place? Nope. One is islands, Damn. one is mainland. Uh, Maldives probably has... Mauritius sounds like a character flaw, like a Mauritiousness. It's the it's uh, the the quality of uh, being bigoted against seafaring people. No, I think we should end it there. Yeah. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? It's time for love.